Content warning. This episode contains real-life experiences of youth talking about mental health challenges, such as eating disorders, suicide, racism trauma, and sexual violence, which might be disturbing to listeners. I'm Janelle Theobald. I wrote an essay during the pandemic. It was chosen for Speaking Our Truths, The Ism Youth Files, produced by Media Rights in Portland, Oregon. The pandemic was a challenging time for most youth, especially for our mental health. For youth with disabilities, it was more challenging. Services that were once accessed were not available, and there were more hurdles for learning. MediaRights sent out a request for creative writing to BIPOC youth and youth with disabilities who were disproportionately affected by COVID-19. That's when I submitted my essay, The Many Who Don't Fit In. 20 young people ages 10 to 21 from around the country and one from India were selected for the book Speaking Our Truths. I'm Janelle Theobald. I'm 16 years old and starting my junior year at the International School of Theorists in Oregon, and I am one of the writers for the ISM Youth Files Project. Episode 3 added challenges, disabilities, and the pandemic. I was born with several physical and developmental disabilities, including autism. And because of that, I always came to struggle to fit in, and I experienced depression. One of my teachers once said, every generation has a turning point. For my generation, it was the COVID-19 pandemic. It forced us to adapt and make changes we may not have made, When online learning was our only option, it challenged my mental health. After a few weeks of attending school through Zoom, I noticed my classmates also struggling to fit in, so I connected with a student named Oscar. I wrote about him in a part of my essay. Since the class started, Oscar and I have interacted twice. The first time was when we were nerding out about fantasy world building over the Zoom chat. The second time was when he was my homework partner a few weeks back. Halfway through our conversation, he broke down, yelling that his life was meaningless. I'd never been in this kind of situation before. I had no idea what to do or say, so I said nothing. His parents apologized to me, and our conversation had to end early. I can't help but be worried about him. That's when my parents told me the news. Oscar had committed suicide. My heart twists and a wave of sorrow washes over me. He was still so young. He should have lived for many more years. How could this have happened? Thought still gnaws at my conscience. Would things have turned out differently if I'd said something sooner? Our nation is facing a severe mental health crisis right now. Before the pandemic started, my home state of Oregon had one-fourth of its population living with disabilities, most of them mental. The pandemic just made things even worse. A report released in August 2020 by the Annie E. Casey Foundation found that the number of Oregon children struggling with mental health issues grew from 11% in 2016 to 16% in 2020. That's a 40% increase. During COVID, my mom tried very hard to find a counselor for me, 
but all the in-network counselors and most of the out-of-network ones were booked full. This is sad, but not a surprise. There is a youth mental health crisis nationally. Oregon has the highest rates according to Mental Health America's 2023 rankings. I'm one of the lucky ones because I was helped by different therapists and counselors. According to the nation's reportcard.gov, learning among students with an identified disability showed a sharp decline. Math scores for nine-year-olds with a disability dropped nine points during the pandemic. That's compared to a seven-point drop for students without an identified disability. YouthToday.org reported that online learning was especially difficult for special needs students who require in-person instruction. The pandemic really did a number of things to my mental health. First, it isolated me from my favorite class at the time, which was publishing the literary journal The Pointed Circle. The class was a lot of fun, and I was forming friendships with a couple classmates. Suddenly, it went remote, as did so many activities for so many of us all. Nico Boscovic in Portland, Oregon, was 21 years old when he sent us three poems for the ISM Youth Files. Before high school, he was homeschooled and underwent a lot of therapy to treat his autism. He never really needed most of it. Nico says, though he was minimally speaking, once he learned how to communicate, it was clear he was quite intelligent and had been paying attention all along. Since that time, Nico has dedicated himself to writing about life as a low-speaking person with autism. He says his life struggles were heightened during the pandemic. I think it didn't help that my parents were on the edge of separating, and it was really stressful. My anxiety had been building since I was starting to struggle at work with parts of my job, and I was really feeling incompetent in many ways. The pandemic seemed to land like a sucker punch to the back of the head. No one expected it, of course, but no one is surprised that we're still in the middle of it. People are still struggling with a lot of anxiety and fear, and I'm no different. I do, however, find moments where I find myself happy knowing myself a lot better than before the pandemic. I think my world has become filled with more precious people, and I have grown closer still to my family, so it's not been terrible. Nico finds he can best express his lived experience through poetry. While he often uses the voice mode on his iPad to have his poems read out loud, he asked his friend Fermina Lopez to perform one of the poems he submitted to the ISM Youth Files. This rain is the alarm I need on this first day after the holidays when routines return and the war feels like nothing changed, except it did, somewhere between Christmas and New Year's. My great sense of calm was replaced with an urgency to fix and straighten everything I could. My OCD is a raging bull that wakes at dawn and doesn't relent until I fall asleep. The beast won't ever rest even when I am exhausted. Its eyes are covered and caked in the stadium's dust. Even when I relax, the bull scrapes its hooves in preparation of a charge at any friendly face. It doesn't hear the fatigue in my father's voice or the fury in my sister's yell as she tries to interrupt my ritual. It gets enraged 
by the words that fall like blossoms from the three churches that lie our front yard every spring, dusting our cards in a festivity reminiscent of a Hindu wedding, then forgotten like a drunken argument between lovers. They eventually return to affection, but the bull keeps a tally of every spur thrust with bloodlust into the space between its shoulders, a pit so deep and rent with scars that blades don't penetrate. How many blades have tried? I know someday one will push its way into that gap where my OCD crawls up to sleep and with a measured flick of the wrist, it will die, going slowly to a place where such things are buried and I will no longer feel its intense hold on my life. Soon, a matter of time, if measured by billable hours, I will be free from all these unseenable urges to let my decisions form like drops of rain and far from the prettiest clouds. My entire life has involved some degree of trying to navigate a world that runs differently from how my brain can process it to make sense. When I was little, everything was too bright, too loud, too fast. It completely overwhelmed my senses, and as a result, I turned inward where it was safe and calm. It was a long time before I could handle learning in a neurotypical way, like in a classroom or having something read to me. It really was so hard to turn off all the unnecessary noises and sensory input, but once I got good at doing it, I found I could process more of what was going on around me. That there were other ways in which I preferred to learn never came up because I didn't know how to tell anyone or even how to describe it. For example, my father liked to watch the PBS New Shore every Universe night Santa. and he would always Santa. have the closed captioning turned on because English was Universe not his Santa. native language and Santa. it probably helped him learn more vocabulary. As a result, Every week I would get at least five hours of text learning until I eventually could identify them on other things like the newspaper or in magazines which I loved flipping through. I can't say when I learned to read, but by the time I was going to kindergarten I knew enough of my letters and numbers to find the constant worksheets. We were being given rather frustrating because they were too easy in the lesson but too hard in what we had to do with them, like drawing a picture or coloring inside the lines. It seemed like all the focus was on the latter and no one thought I could know the former. I was reminded of this time and time again as I was growing up, and it is remarkable luck that I was able to learn how to letterboard and use it to graduate from high school. It remains a fact of my daily life that I will forever function differently in this world. Nico says his OCD, obsessive-compulsive disorder, can be frustrating to everyone. He's waiting to find some relief through occupational therapy. He says traditional talk therapy isn't very accessible to someone like him, but he has found several coping strategies. Comfort shows up in all sorts of ways. For me, it consists of routines that are predictable and feed some area I'm interested in at the moment. For example, 
I used to really like cutting paper when I was little. I did it as a way of clearing my mind after being in school all day and having to control my sensory responses so that I could listen to my teacher's lecture. It was at the same time and place every workday, and I grew to rely on it as a copy strategy. It's called shtimling, and most if not all the autistic people I've met do it as a way of self-soothing one's nervous system after repeated overstimulation. I've done all sorts of things for this kind of comfort in good times and in bad because it never stops being overwhelming. Sometimes it's just more challenging because the people around me are struggling too, which creates a difficult environment in which to find daily joy. I find in those times that poems can be a great distraction as well as a source of comfort. I really like physical comfort in that a deep hug can turn a day around. I have high hopes in terms of learning some strategies that will be helpful. For Nico Boscovic, writing continues to be a helpful coping strategy, and poetry is an art form that inspires him. Is the difference between breathing with my nose and with my mouth. One is there for everyday purposes, and the other is for all the times when we have to find ways to bring in extra oxygen for when we have to deal with an impact on our system that starts to overwhelm it. I never stop noticing my surroundings because my senses are always on while I'm awake. It's always been that way, and I sort of learned to put up with it. In this way, I make my brain isolate input streams that I then focus on so that I can ignore the ones that aren't important. But I have a hard time letting some of the memories which return to my mind go their way, either because they are dramatic or among those which I cherish. Therefore, my solution is to put them into words and emotions that may be opposite in meaning but still reflect the undercurrent of the situation. I don't think I've ever experienced an emotion in isolation. With happiness I've felt nostalgia and longing for more chances to feel joy. In sadness sometimes I find comfort because I have been sad before and have been stronger because of it. In the same way that I get input from a lot of my surroundings, so do my emotions. I find once I put it into a poem, it weighs less on my mind, and I can reference the emotion when it feels relevant. Poetry is that pressure valve which allows me to release some of the thoughts that come up for me in situations where my surroundings overwhelm my ability to process them. It happens so often that I usually have one or two poems bumping around in my head at any given moment. Loosen the ties which bind us to this place and commit to a lighter heart. How time dragged on these solemn days, yet I am full of stories which ramble on in my head, spin out of control while slumbering melt into reality, like a seed newly sprouted in soil, not known for germination, but waiting for a telling. My favorite fantasy grips my attention every night and it I am not flying, nor am I quote-unquote normal, but rather the world tilts to a precipitous angle and writes itself. By writes itself, I mean it sheds hate and guns and male toxicity and violence in the name of peace. It creates mothers and men, 
deepens on melanin to an umber hue, hastens love to all lips in a place of meanness, makes the most mortal of us humble under the realization that we'll all want an earth in one form or another someday. Rake a path through September leaves, finish your raving of songs with chords, and bend your old bones into the shape of a stream that forks around life's current and past, ready to float downstream to a quieter mind where satisfaction is home and life is still ripe with dreams of children. Hang the laundry on the line of my smile until it dries. Let me iron it to military stiffness so you can wear it to church on Sunday and sing as big as my dreams. All of our writers are featured in the book, Speaking Our Truths, available on all platforms where books are sold. It's also on the Media Rates website, where you can also download a free mental health toolkit. Just go to mediarates.org. I'm Janelle Theobald of the ISM Youth Files. In Education Week Research Center, analysis of state data found 31 states saw drops in overall graduation rates for the class of 2021. That's compared with 14 states for the class of 2020. 22 states saw declining graduation rates among students with disabilities in 2020 through 2021, compared with 10 states the previous year. Under federal law, public schools must provide free, appropriate public education to students with disabilities. In an article by Youth Today, students with disabilities generally have an individualized education plan that describes the services and accommodations they should receive. These requirements were largely ignored during the pandemic. My school had a broken elevator for about four months and they did nothing to fix it, so that kind of shows how much they care about disability rights. They've treated my disabled peers pretty poorly in the past. And luckily, I've never had problems with my own disabilities at the school, but that's because I don't really ask for many accommodations besides an adapted gym class, which I was very lucky to be able to receive accommodations for. Veronica Salron is a junior at Center Grove High School in Greenwood, Indiana. The school has 2,500 students. Veronica struggles with a connective tissue disorder and uses her writing to describe these struggles. She sent her poem, Bent and Broken, to us for the Speaking Our Truths book. The bed sinks as I lie, relieving the weight from the day. 
I lie awake with sparks in my skull and spines in my sides, wondering, weeping, whispering, what did I do to deserve this? Yelling out to any higher power, whoever is willing to listen to the bent and broken. Mornings full of mourning, longing for the life I once led, yet wanting to love the one I lead. Complications and confusion crowding my premium, is my brain bent and broken as well? Both arms are tied to two thoughts. The executioner shoots the thoughts pull, tearing me up inside and tearing up my eyes. Bent and broken, and bashing my own brain just for being her beautiful self. Stuck in my tracks, the ground beneath my feet is honey. Contrarily, though, I am stuck. I feel more at home than ever. A pretty and pristine perspective. I wish I could live in it too. Cover me, oh liquid gold. Sickeningly sweet, stolen from your comfortable hive. Falling to my knees, I shove the feelings way back in the dark. Inside the cold cabinets filled with the deepest secrets, the deepest thoughts, the biggest lies. And now how I feel about myself deep down, bent and broken but putting on a fixed face. Acceptance accelerates but I still struggle. Walking becomes harder and harder, more painful, as though my joint sockets are sandpaper, rubbing down whatever is left of the bent and broken me. Each reminder of my pain pulls me down. I cover myself in the syrup. Beneath me, putting on that positive perspective that makes the bent and broken attractive again. Veronica says she has hypermobility spectrum disorder. This is a condition where your joints overstretch and cause pain. People with this disorder are at risk to injury. I wrote it during a time where I was somewhat recently diagnosed and in a pretty bad pain flare-up where it hurt to use my hands and walking was really hard because school takes a lot out of me. I have a really big school and just getting from class to class takes a lot of energy. And just writing about it helps me feel better and it validates my own feelings. During the pandemic, the U.S. Department of Education's Office for Civil Rights made a projection. They said the number of complaints against school districts filed by parents of children with disabilities would nearly triple by the end of 2022 to about 28,500. That was projected to continue at high levels through 2023. Making education accessible to learning is crucial. So is mobility in school spaces. While Veronica isn't a wheelchair user, she has friends who are. My friend who just graduated, she had a lot of hardship in getting accommodations for her frequent hospital visits and doing online school when the rest of school was in person. And for me, I haven't had to ask for many accommodations. And they were luckily pretty accepting about getting me into the disabled gym class. Some of the classrooms, they're very small. I don't think someone in a wheelchair could get through the spaces. And of course, we had an elevator down for like four months and nothing was done to fix it, which is not ADA accessible. Overcrowded schools with large populations of students can present added challenges in the best of times. I use crutches occasionally and sometimes I use a cane. It really depends on how long the outing is or how I'm feeling. At school, I don't really use anything. I probably should. It's just kind of more of a hassle for me and it would help because of how tight classrooms are. The hallways are crazy. There is so much pushing and it's so crowded. There's a lot of articles written about that, how our school was overcrowded during the pandemic. 
there was no mask mandates. I still wore one because I wanted to keep myself and my immunocompromised friends safe. But it was mental health that challenged Veronica and her friends the most during isolation. Earlier in the pandemic, the isolation had led me to have mostly online friends, but some of those didn't turn out so well, and I ended up feeling really isolated, like nobody truly cared about me, and coupling in the fact that my health started getting worse coincidentally around the pandemic time, it just it culminated in me being very mentally unhealthy around last year. I'm doing much better now, but my mental health at the beginning and middle of the pandemic before now was not very good and I can definitely tie some of that into the isolation of being alone in the pandemic. Since being back in person at school, Veronica Salrin says she still sees the effects of the pandemic on her friends. I can definitely see how the pandemic has affected my friends, especially tying into puberty around that time and the isolation has caused many of my friends to struggle with depression. I struggled with depression for a while back in 2020 and 2021 and it's just very, very difficult. It's more difficult to see if people you care about going through that than if yourself going through it, honestly. I have had to report my friends when I've seen them like talk about how they've tried to hurt themselves. And I, I do feel bad when they get upset at me, but I'd rather have an unhappy friend than a dead friend. I think there definitely is stigma on reporting, like stitches get stitches. And that did play through my head when I think about like, helping my friends, but I honestly just, I don't know, I just keep telling myself it's the right thing to do. I want my friends to be healthy. And luckily, the friend in question, we're both in a much better mental state now than we were during the earlier stages of the pandemic. The social model of disability emphasizes that people are disabled by barriers in society, whether physical, institutional, or by people's attitudes, but not by their impairment. That's according to a report by the National Center for Biotechnology Information. It goes on to state that by removing these societal barriers, people with disabilities can enjoy greater independence, choice, and equality. The first step is awareness that this is a real problem for mental health. It seems to me the current solution is to send people with disabilities to mental health professionals, but we need to have more support from the community because there just aren't enough professionals to deal with everyone's needs. I have this memory. My mom and I were picking berries one day. Other people had already come before us and picked all the easy to get berries. She told me if you are just willing to bend down a bit lower and look for those hard to reach places, then you will actually be able to fill up your buckets quickly. I think if you have the passion to help other people, and if you work hard and are able to adapt and know what you're passionate about, then you'd be able to make change in many ways. I'm now serving on the Oregon State Youth Development Council, and I will continue to advocate for both physical and developmental disability rights. You've been listening to the ISM Youth Files, Added Challenges, Disabilities, and the Pandemic. For more info about this project and the book, Speaking Our Truths, or to download a free mental health toolkit, visit mediarights.org. I'm Janelle Theobald.
the Is the Muse Files project received support from Ronnie LaCroote, the Regional Arts and Culture Council, the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation, the Oregon Arts Commission, the Collins Foundation, Oregon Humanities, Oregon Community Foundation, Western States Arts Federation, the City of Portland Arts Healing Grant, and individual donors. Special thanks to our partner, Oregon Children's Theater, who co-created a mental health toolkit for this project. Get a free download of the toolkit or more info on the Speaking in Our Truths book at mediarights.org. M-E-D-I-A-R-I-T-E-S dot org. Order your copy of the Speaking Our Truths book at Amazon or request it at your library or school. Music for this show was composed and performed by Tomo Singh. Here is music on all platforms. These Amuse Files was produced by Demilo Roberts with Amanda Anderson and Samson Sierroth. Literary Works Editor was Sandra DeHelen. Our mental health consultant is Dr. Eleanor Heal Kashawabara. Our engineer was Clark Salisbury, who provides additional music. This is a Meteorites production.